I'm reading to you from the Gospel according to Matthew, the 27th chapter, and I'm reading verses 57 through 61. These are actually passages from after Jesus has died. Uh, This is the story of how friends of Jesus cared for his body. When it was evening, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who was also a disciple of Jesus. He went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus, Then Pilate ordered that it be given to him. So Joseph took the body and wrapped it in a clean linen cloth and laid it in his own new tomb, which he had hewn in the rock. He then rolled a great stone to the door of the tomb and went away. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were there, sitting opposite the tomb. This is the good news of God for all of us. Thanks be to God. I ask you to pray with me. May the words that I say and the reflections that go through all of our minds give you pleasure, God, you who are our rock, you who save us. Amen. Monday night, I returned from engaging in a very risky activity, traveling with friends. Those of you who have traveled with friends know that it can go very well or very poorly, or somewhere in between, and I'm very happy to report that mine went very well. Five of us clergywomen from Northern Illinois Conference rented a condo that was right on the beach in Puerto Vallarta. We spent a wonderful week together eating and resting and just having a wonderful time. But those of you, again, who have traveled with friends know that it doesn't always go that way. And even for us, we hadn't traveled before, and so we got together and had a pre-trip session. We talked about our financial expectations. We talked about expectations of how much time to spend together and apart because we knew we all really liked each other and we wanted to feel the same way at the end of the trip. (laughs) What can go wrong? Well, a million little things. When we travel, we get to learn things about one another that we might not necessarily see in just a day-to-day friendship. We learn a lot about each other's day-to-day patterns, patterns of eating and of sleeping, patterns of spending, how you want to spend your time. It is striking that if you travel with a group of people for any period of time, you very quickly find out who the extroverts and the introverts are. You very quickly find out who needs more energy from the others and who is kind of slipping away to get more time to herself. And it can be a real problem. Uh, Not with this group happily, but I've had experience with other traveling groups where it didn't work out so well. Um, One group in particular I traveled with, and they had um, a lot more money than I did, and they liked to spend a whole lot of money on very big meals very late at night. And I didn't want to eat that much, I didn't want to drink that much, and I didn't want to spend that much money. And it just didn't work so well. That's what they wanted to do, that's fine. But didn't work out as, as traveling friends. I also have a very dear friend who remains a dear friend, but we don't travel together uh, because I really like food. I need food, I need three meals a day, I'm an eater. And she thought a really good way to save time and money would be not to eat. So why not drive 10 straight hours and not stop for meals? And meanwhile, when I don't eat, I get cranky. (laughs) So (laughs) do not want to do that with me. And I would try to warn her, but no, come on, we'll just go a little bit farther. And didn't go so well. 
traveling with friends. Have you ever thought about Jesus traveling with friends? An angle I've never thought about before reading this book. We know that Jesus didn't have his own home. We know that throughout the time of his active ministry, he and the 12 disciples and others who became followers would travel around from village to village. Some places they would spend a longer block of time. Other places they were just in and out in a day or two. But imagine Jesus and his friends traveling all that time. How did they work out things like meals? Was someone the grocery guy who made sure they always kept pita bread and cheese and olives around? Was there someone else who was the money person? Actually, we know Judas was the money person from one of the Gospels. How did they handle all those details? And what did they do when they had different desires for their time or their resources? Jesus traveled with friends. And we know from the Bible that Jesus' experiences with his friends were sometimes very positive, very healing, very warm, and other times quite painful and quite disappointing. So I want to reflect with you on Jesus' friendships, his relationships, what was really strong and good in them, the places where he was disappointed, and then reflect upon our own relationships and how we see God working in the midst of all of those. Jesus had friends. Now, we know that. We know about the 12 disciples. We know that there was a group of men that he traveled with most of the time. We know that Jesus was very clear with them. Uh, Gospel of John, 15th chapter, tells us about how Jesus says, you are no longer servants, you are my friends. That this was a group of people who were good friends of Jesus, with whom he spent a lot of time, and they ate together, and they slept under the same roof or out under the stars. They shared their lives. They were good friends. We also know that within those 12 and in other relationships, there were some favorite people. Now, this can make us a little uncomfortable. As Christians, we believe that Jesus was fully human and fully divine, and yet sometimes we kind of chafe against some of the fully human aspects of Jesus' life. We may want very much to believe that Jesus loved everyone equally, and I think that's true. I think Jesus loves all of us equally. Jesus loved the disciples equally. Jesus loved equally all the people in Jesus' life. But we also know there's some people that Jesus was closer to. <laughs> we don't like to think of there being ins and outs. But we know that there were people that Jesus pulled aside for special ministries or special attention. We know that Jesus took Peter, James, and John up the mountain when Jesus was transfigured, and that there are several places in the Gospels where Jesus does things only with Peter, James, and John. They were clearly some kind of inner circle. We also know that Jesus was very good friends with a family of siblings in Bethany just outside Jerusalem, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. We know that when Jesus was going to or from Jerusalem, often he would stay with them. And we know from the Gospel of Luke in chapter 10, that wonderful story of Mary and Martha spatting, where Martha's doing all the work to welcome Jesus and the disciples, and Mary is sitting and listening at Jesus' feet. We know that their home was not only a place where Jesus would stay overnight, but it was also a place where he would invite others for teaching, that it was kind of a home base for him in that area and a place of uh, welcoming others. 
Mary, Martha, and Lazarus were very good friends of Jesus's. We also know from the Gospel of John that there was one referred to as the disciple Jesus loved. Now, obviously, he loved all of them, but there seems to have been a very special connection between whom we understand to be John and Jesus. So even though Jesus had these 12 friends and many other relationships with people he taught and healed and fed, there were also certain people with whom he was especially close. Peter, James, and John. John, the disciple Jesus loved. Mary, Martha, Lazarus. Special relationships. And then today's passage lifts up a point that is easy to overlook. But people who were so true to Jesus that they were true to him even after his death. In the passage I read, we hear about what happened to Jesus' body after his death. We know from history that Romans had a practice after a person had been crucified, the Romans would leave the body up on the cross overnight after the crucifixion. There were two reasons why the Romans did that. They did that for further shame and humiliation for the person who was killed, but they also did that as a warning to people who might want to organize against the Roman military occupation. It was a warning. So that imagine people going by and seeing dead bodies still up on a cross. A person would look at that and think, you know, I'm not going to challenge the powers that be. But we know from Matthew 27 that Jesus' body did not undergo that fate, what happened to other people executed by the Roman government. Instead, we know that Joseph of Arimathea, an area just east of Joppa, went to Pilate and asked for Jesus' body. We don't know much about Joseph of Arimathea. Matthew tells us that he's wealthy. And we know that he must have been a person of influence to be able to get in and have an audience with Pilate. He asked for Jesus' body, and Pilate gave it to him. Pilate broke the Roman rule and gave Jesus' body to Joseph. Joseph took that body, wrapped it in linen cloths as proper Jewish burial practice, and placed Jesus' body in his, Joseph's, own tomb. We know from Deuteronomy that people who were executed because of crimes in Jewish teaching were to be buried that night. And Joseph made sure that Jesus' body was buried, as was called for under Jewish law. That's a real friend. A person who, after Jesus' shaming, his humiliation, his torture, his being killed, stayed true and showed his allegiance to Jesus even after death, even going to Pilate on his behalf. And Matthew tells us that Mary Magdalene and the other Mary stayed outside that tomb and kept vigil, even after the body had been placed in the tomb. Jesus had some really good friends. He had some people who really loved him, who cared for him, who provided hospitality for him. We can imagine who listened to him on a tough day. God worked in Jesus' life through relationships. But we also know that not every relationship went smoothly. Some of Jesus' relationships included in them a lot of hurt and pain. And one of them was one of his primary relationships with Peter. Peter, who many would have said was the star disciple. Some would have argued Peter was Jesus' best friend. And yet it was Peter who continually didn't understand what Jesus was trying to teach him, 
So that when Jesus told Peter and others that Jesus himself would suffer and die and be raised, Peter rebuked him and said, no, no, that's not going to happen to you. And Jesus had to rebuke Peter. That same Peter, dear friend, who denied even knowing Jesus when Jesus was inside being questioned by the authorities. That same Peter who wasn't there at the cross during Jesus' crucifixion. But was that the end of the story of Jesus' experience of Peter? We'll come back to that. In Jesus' earthly life, in his experience with Peter, there was a lot of joy, but there was also denial and abandonment. We know that one of the 12, Judas, betrayed Jesus. We know that Judas cho chose to turn him over to the authorities. That was a very painful experience, one that did not get redeemed in Judas's life. We know that there were many who Jesus taught who chose not to follow his teaching, like the rich young man who heard Jesus say, sell all you have and give to the poor, and who decided to keep his riches rather than to keep life in Jesus's name. Jesus knew the ups and downs of relationships, knowing some very strong, fulfilling friendships and people of great loyalty, but also knowing denial and betrayal and abandonment. Maybe it helps us in our own relationships to know that Jesus himself knew strength and whole and joyous relationships and also knew brokenness and betrayal. Because our lives are like that too. We have those relationships that are so filled of joy, whether they're with family members or lovers or with friends, whether they're coworkers or in our community, there are people with whom we have such joy-filled, wonderful life. But there are also relationships that are broken and torn, that may feel beyond the pale. Relationships we've tried to heal and we haven't been able to, that create those kind of jagged edges in our lives. What a blessing it is to reflect upon those and know that God can use even those jagged edges, even those broken places, to provide healing and a beautiful design for the world. Shane Stanford tells a story of one such healing of a person who experienced great brokenness. And it's a, some of you are younger than this story, but others of you will remember it well. It comes from a story that's more recent, but harkens back to an earlier time. Shane Stanford was invited to be on a radio show in a program that supports Christian families. The practice of the interviewers to have two guests on every interview, and so Shane was there, and there was another woman there, Donna Hughes. Donna Hughes is the CEO of an organization called Enough is Enough that works to um, provide support and help for people trying to battle addiction to pornography. In addition, Enough is Enough has worked for safety of children on the internet. They've provided software and other kind of tools to protect children surfing the net from uh, sites that they wouldn't want to see, that wouldn't be safe for them. As Shane was being interviewed along with Donna, he was really impressed by the depth of her faith, by her witness, by her knowledge. It was a real blessing to him to be on that interview with her. But as the time passed, he started thinking more and more, and something Something was familiar. He knew he hadn't met her before, but, but something was familiar, and it was going through his brain, and all of a sudden, it clicked. 
He didn't know Donna Hughes. But before she was Donna Hughes, she was Donna Rice. In 1987, at this point, the front-running Democratic candidate for president was a man out of Colorado named Gary Hart. And Gary Hart was going very successfully. Michael Dukakis was behind him, but Gary Hart was going very well in the polls, and things were looking quite promising for Gary Hart to be the Democratic candidate for president in 1988. Things were going along great for Gary Hart until it was discovered that Gary, who was married, had had an affair with a young woman in her 20s named Donna Rice. It became quite the story in news. Eventually, Gary withdrew from the election, and Donna Rice's name became a kind of joke, a kind of byword of broken sexuality. There were a lot of Donna Rice jokes in that time. Gary Hart uh, withdrew from his political career. We don't hear much about him, and we basically hear nothing about Donna Rice. What Shane Stanford learned was after that experience of broken sexuality and of deep shame and, and public embarrassment, Donna Rice shared that, boy, you find out who your friends are. And a lot of people who had been at her side while she was popular and seeing Gary suddenly dropped her like a hot potato. Other people hung in with her and were true friends. Donna had been raised as a Christian but had moved away from that faith. She returned to the faith of her childhood and invited God into these broken relationships, these, this brokenness that her sexuality had become. And over time, God healed her. And she found herself in time married to a wonderful man, Mr. Hughes, becoming a stepmother to his children, becoming active with this organization, working on issues of pornography and particularly addictions to pornography, and then working on safety for children so that they don't happen onto websites that would expose them to child pornography or places where they might be stalked by people that aren't safe. She now has this powerful ministry working for healthy sexuality, she who used to be a sign of broken sexuality. This is how God works in our lives. God takes those broken places, those beautiful whole pieces, but also those jagged edges, and can make something new out of it. Yes, in some cases, what God makes is restoration. And we see that in the story of Peter. Peter, Jesus' friend who denied him, who abandoned him. Peter became one of the witnesses to Jesus' resurrection. And we know from John chapter 1 that Jesus gave Peter an opportunity to proclaim his faith. And that three times Peter affirmed, yes, Lord, I love you. And in case we think that was just a one-time deal, later on we see Peter throughout the book of Acts. As these followers of Jesus gathered up in the upper room on the day of Pentecost, as the Holy Spirit brought fire, tongues of fire down, who was it who preached profoundly, confidently faith in Jesus, the risen Lord? Peter, the one who denied him, the one who had abandoned him. For Peter, the healing that God brought was a restoration an awareness of his frailty, an awareness of his need for God, the healing of that so that he could proclaim boldly his faith in Jesus, which he did. He became the leader of the Jerusalem church, and we continue to read of Peter's witness throughout the book of Acts. Not every healing creates restoration. Judas was not restored. It was not God's desire for Gary Hart to leave his wife 
and marry Donna Rice. That wasn't the healing for Donna. God had a different healing for her, a healing which led to her allowing broken sexuality to become a resource for healthy sexuality. And that is now how God has invited Donna to live out her adult life as that kind of witness. And what she offers is beautiful and probably wouldn't have been possible had she not gone through that earlier broken phase. Brothers and sisters, we worship Jesus who was human, who knew frustrations and abandonment and loss, whose relationships included joy and fun and people who were profoundly loyal even after his death. But Jesus also knew broken relationships. He knew abandonment and denial and betrayal. He experienced those sufferings even as he offered love. And God worked in him, raising him from the grave, raising him from the dead. God worked in Peter to create the first apostle or one of the first apostles. And God can work in us through our whole relationships, through our broken relationships. On this Valentine's Day, relationships are very much to the fore in our minds. Whether we're thinking of a love relationship we have now, whether we're thinking of a broken relationship, a divorce or a strain in our relationships, whether remembering someone from the past that we miss, or whether we're look, looking forward to a love we so desire to have. God is present in all those relationships, those memories, and those desires, and can bring forth healing and something of great beauty. Thanks be to God. Amen.